Hallelujah. Isn't church the greatest thing ever? I just have to pinch myself when I'm up here because I'm just freaking out. Because the Lord's been just, I don't know, man, I just got plastered up here with goosebump anointing and oh my word, and I'm just so proud of all of you. You you bless me too. I mean the Lord is I mean you're you're second to the Lord, so you're you're right up there. Uh, a couple of things I want to mention. Um uh, this has been by the way, this has been working. I don't know. My voice has been better, like I'm getting some breakthrough and it helps not to get so excited, so forgive me for not getting so excited, but but maybe eventually we'll get, you know, strong enough to get back up to standing and yelling, but this has been all right. Uh, a couple of things we want to mention. Emerge is coming up, and we're going to do this Move Your Mountains uh, curriculum, Delio. So, you know, check in on that. Also, today's mission meeting is really, if you're super serious, like this is not an interest meeting. This is like bring money pretty much because we're ready to lock in prices, and we need to move fast. Uh, it looks like we're going to go to the number one safari in the world where all the millionaires and billionaires go. So you need a little R&R when you're out there sweating for Jesus. So come grab that. And then we got a fundraiser today. So I saw the ladies in there tearing up chicken uh, before service. We've got um, enchiladas right after service. So it's going to be fun. All of that, everything we do with that window uh, is uh, building up, supporting some kind of a cause here at the house. Uh, so today I want to get back into one world government. And uh, so I hope that's okay. Uh, preachers have a real problem. Um, they've got way too much to say. And so, you know, after my first one world government day, uh, it's a little embarrassing because then you go along and you Trying to control yourself. I need stool, two stools. My rear end is too big. Thank you, honey. What a blessing you are. It was squeaking. Oh, it was tippy too? What a blessing. Is, is my shirt buttoned? Am I okay? Is it? All right, good. Okay. Just looking to you, babe. All right, so uh, after my first One World Government Day, I don't know what got us into this, but oh, I do know what got world crisis, crisis, you know, uh, anarchy, uh, yelling and screaming, all the Trump hatred, you know. Uh, and one thing that I, I you know, I want to get across to us is that um, whether we rejoice over Trump or we cry, uh, whether we rejoice over President Obama or we cried. It's not about the president. It's about Jesus. Jesus will have his way. Jesus will be exalted. Jesus is, Father is building a kingdom for him. And, uh, and, and even though we love it when world leaders reflect the values of the kingdom because that shows that they're actually listening well, they're actually maybe yielding to an influence from above, the wisdom from above, right? We love that. We're excited about that. We want that in any president, in any magistrate, in any representative government, three levels of government. We, we love it when there is uh, a corresponding, like uh, 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 a parallel, uh, a mirroring of the government from above, yes? But when we don't see that, we don't need to cry. We don't need to wring our hands. We don't need to, like, stay up all night pacing the floor. We don't need to worry. We don't need to, we don't need to join in with the gloom and doom people, by the way. We don't need to join in with the gloom. We need to be bigger. We need to live bigger than the momentary circumstance we see. We need to, be, we need to leave, live bigger than MSNBC or whatever it's called, uh, or Fox, right? So we got a conservative... Uh, a viewpoint over here, and, and uh, we get whatever liberal, progressive viewpoint over here. We need to live bigger than whatever we're seeing circumstantially in any given day. 
Uh, because God's already determined what's going to happen, and he's looking for a people who will get into agreement with what he's already determined will happen. We don't want to be a Numbers 13 and 14 people. That would be a big mistake. God said, I want you to go into the promised land, and they said, we be not able. And, and it's interesting that uh, it, it circumvented all of the people. It circumvented two million people missed out on their promise because those at key levels of leadership said we be not able. Those at key levels of leadership said they look like giants and we look like grasshoppers. So, you know, the two that believed God and believed the good report, they got to go in. God extended their lives, and God made them the trainers of a new generation. But a whole generation missed out. Now, God still got his will done. God is sovereign. We say, well, God is in control. God is sovereign. God is in control, and God is sovereign in that eventually he will have a people that do what he wants to do because they want to do it, not because he made them do it. He will eventually have a generation like that. But you don't have to be that generation. You can say, no, I cannot be, I, I be not able. And by the way, like God said in Numbers 14, 28, if you decide to be that kind of a person in your generation, God will forgive you for that attitude, but he won't take you into your promised land. Life will be H-E double toothpicks. I don't want to... I don't, I, I, some of you might have gotten offended if I would have said hell, but... This is why so many Christians have a, have a life. Did you fill in that one? They're forgiven, right? So when Israel sinned, Numbers 14 and 28 records this. This is not the sermon. This is appetizer. But when Israel sinned and then they begged God to forgive them, God said, I will forgive you. But what I heard you say in my ears is exactly what you will inherit and receive. You said we will not be able. We are not able. You said we will die off in this wilderness. Therefore, though I forgive you, you will die off in your wilderness. I'd rather go into my promise. Amen? Uh, Isaiah 9. Let's go to Isaiah 9. We kicked it off last week. Uh, we're trying to spur within you this attitude, this ornery, uh determination, this, this mean, faith-filled spirit that there is going to be a one-world government, but it's not going to be around the Antichrist. It's going to be around... The Christ. For a child will be born unto us, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Now, last week I pointed out to you that the shoulders include the body. Therefore, the, the body is us. We are the body of Christ. So therefore, the government shall be upon the body. Therefore, the body interact with the shoulders. There, therefore, the government shall actually be upon the manifestation of Jesus in and through the body. Everybody, everybody go like this. Do you have any shoulders? Okay, well, when Jesus does that, he's touching you. The government will be upon his shoulders. It will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Go on to the next verse. And of the increase, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace, or some translations say his government of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it. And by the way, if you look to Acts chapter 13, if you look at, at uh, Amos, cha uh, 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 Amos chapter 9, if you look at, uh, anyway, what you'll see is that Jesus has reestablished the throne of David. And what, what we're involved in now is actually the reestablishing of Zion in a metaphoric way. To establish it, to uphold it, justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we started with that last week, and I want to just keep... Now, if this provokes within you, like, uh, what in the world? You know, like, questions. And none of you hit me with questions last week, but I don't know. 
Maybe you're just all totally getting brainwashed. Uh, but if this provokes you within you some questions as we talk on things like this, you're welcome to uh, email me, accost me, um, whatever, and then we'll try to answer those questions. The emphasis I want to bring today is on the prophetic. I want to revisit the emphasis on the prophetic. Um, and you might say, well, Dwayne, you've been talking about the prophetic for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. Can we get on to a new message? Well, I'm going to ask you, can you get this one? I'm thinking that we'll move on when you finally get this one. As long as I hear you don't have it, then I figure we got to go back to it. So I want to mention to you and bring to your mind that at the forefront of all kingdom advancement has been the prophetic. At the forefront of all kingdom advancement. Now, of the increase of his government of peace, there shall be no end. So that's called advancement. That's called increase. It's called advancement. There's a similitude of phraseology there. And at the forefront of all kingdom advancement has been the prophetic. In David's day, in Gideon's day, in Samuel's day, even Abraham. It's interesting. Abraham is the friend of God. He's the father of faith. But I don't know if you ever noticed the little verse. It's a little caveat. In Genesis 20, verse 7, it says that Abraham was a prophet. Did you know Abraham was a prophet? How many of you knew Abraham was a prophet? Abraham was the prophet. Genesis 20, verse 7. He wasn't just the friend of God. He wasn't just called out of Ur of the Chaldees. He wasn't just shown a land where God would take him. But God actually declares in chapter 7 of chapter, verse 7 of, of chapter 20 that Abraham was a prophet. Then he tells us this really weird thing. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, I brought it to your mind the last week, Amos chapter 3, verse 7. He tells us that he does nothing unless he first shows his servants, the prophet. Now, the reason that we could, we could, some conjecture here, theological conjecture, the reason that he does nothing in the earth unless he shows his servants, the prophets, is because the earth he has given to us, the sons of men. God is not a God of bondage. He's not a, bond, a God of enslavement. He's not a God... Uh, he wants a people that cooperate with him. He wants good in the earth. He has good in mind for the earth. He has good in mind for mankind. He's grieved over bad. He's grieved over evil. He's grieved over loss. He's grieved over every bad thing that's happened to you. By the way, he didn't ordain it. The enemy did. So he's grieved over negative things in the earth, and and. He is trying to get good into the earth. He's trying to get restoration. He's trying to get redemption. He's trying to get all of these good things into the earth. But yet there has to be, there has to be the judging of evil. There has to be the turning down. There has to be the confrontation of evil. There has to be the development of good. And, and, there, there, and as he tries to bring this in, because he's given us the lease on the earth. Remember Psalm 115, 16. We talked about it last week quite a bit. The heavens, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Right? And so as he's trying to get uh, goodness into the earth, then he, he really has to have the cooperation of a son of man. By the way, this is where Jesus came in and where Jesus comes in. We talked quite a bit last week about the supremacy of Jesus. This is why when Jesus came, he was known as the Son of Man. This is why a title that he had was the Son of Man. This is why Jesus did something amazing uh, uh, when he overcame Satan, not in his divinity, but he overcame Satan in his manhood. Everybody say manhood. Humanity. Say humanity. As a Son of Man, he overcame. Right? That's really powerful. We've got to grasp that because what he did in his humanity was so powerful. This is what opened up every promise to us. This is what opened up inheritance to us. This is what opened up redemption and breakthrough to us. This is what literally took the lid off of everything for us as people because we're hidden in him. We're not hidden in him in his divinity. We're hidden in him in his manhood. And so Amos 3, 7, we talked about this. He does nothing unless he first shows his servants the prophets. And this is cool because in the Old Testament, remember, uh, remember 
there was an instance where Moses said, oh, that all would prophesy. And then there's an instance in the New Testament where Jesus says, are you jealous? Are you jealous for my sake? Are you got to be kidding me? Remember, God wills that all would prophesy. So this is interesting, though, that the prophetic ministry was literally just a prophetic ministry that graced very few in the Old Testament. But we see this grace upon them, and as we see this grace upon them, we see how it operates, we see how it works, we see, we see the model of it, we see how powerful it is, we see that it's God uh, showing his will to these people, and then these people interacting with that rhema of his will, and therefore bringing bringing by cooperation with what he shows them, they bring the essence of his will, which is good for mankind. They bring the essence of his will into the earth realm because all things break forth in the spirit realm first, and then the tangible, the manifest realm, is responding to that which is hammered. Oh, I like that. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That which is that which is released, that which is that which is because what we're what we're slamming the ground with, we're slamming the ground with a spiritual hammer, a war club in the spirit realm that shatters, that shakes everything, not only in the spirit realm, but in the natural realm, that is resistant, that is hard, that is contrary to God's will, and his will is always good not only for you, but for mankind, for the earth. Amen? So I love, I love that uh, at one point Jesus said that no longer do I call you slaves because a slave doesn't know what his master's up to. But now, and he uses the same phrase, phraseology that he used with Abraham, friend of God. He says, now I call you friends because I'm bringing you in. I'm bringing you into the chamber. I'm bringing you into the whisper room. I'm bringing you into closeness. I'm bringing you into intimacy. I'm bringing you into a place where you know what, what Father is up to. I'm actually going to relay to you out of the intimacy you have with me what Father is up to, and no longer will you be separated from an intimate relationship with Father, but you're going to be brought near to an intimate relationship with Father. You're going to know what Father wants to do in the earth, what Father is up to in the earth, what Father Father's releasing in the earth, what he's contradicting in the earth, what he's tearing down in the earth, what he's establishing in the earth, what he's saying over the future, and what he's said over the past. This is powerful stuff. So if he no longer, if you are no longer slaves, he now calls you friends. Don't you know what he's telling you? He's telling you that you're going to prophesy. You're going to be so near, so intimate, so close with God's will, with Father's will, that you're going to have an edge. You're going to have the key to be a prophetic people. This is the fulfillment of what Moses said, oh, that all of God's people would prophesy. Come on, say it with me. Oh, that all of God's people would prophesy. Daniel was a prophet. He was a watchman, one who observes the time and the seasons. One who observes the times and the seasons. We just studied Daniel. We just went through weeks on Daniel. Chapter 9 is one of the crux passages in Daniel because in chapter 9, it says that in the first year of Darius, the son of Asiris, the of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books. I observed in the books. I observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the destruction or the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. He went to studying. Everybody say study. He went to study. He went to study. He observed. He studied. When he observed, when he studied, he noticed that 70 years have been completed. That's what the prophet said. Desolation would last 70 years. Thus he clothed himself with sackcloth, ashes, began to fast, wait upon God, and began to remind God of what God said. He began to remind God of what God said. Wow. Wow. He also noted that his people, his people, 
were still living a sinful life, and so he began to plead for the redeemed. He began to plead for Israel. Not the globe, but for Israel. He began to plead for Israel. He began to plead, if my people will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then God will heal the land. So he began to plead for his people. He began to confess their sins while he reminded God, 70 years is up, God. 70 years is up, God. Yes, Lord, now is the time of restoration. Now is the time of restoration. But he was a prophet. He was a prophet just as much as he was a prayer warrior. We put a lot of emphasis on prayer. We put a lot of emphasis on prayer. But I'm telling you what, God wants you to shift and have 50% from this moment on, from this day on. He wants you to shift and have 50% of your whole spiritual life on prophecy. 50 prayer, 50 prophecy. 50 prayer, 50 prophecy. 50 prayer, 50 prophecy. Say it with me. 50% prayer, 50% prophecy. What is the prophetic realm? God is for us. He's seen our dilemma, our condition, how we've come under the spell of the devil. The prophetic realms where God shows us his will, allows us to see his heart for people, institution, and nations. He shows us what's evil and what can be, must be, should be torn down. What needs to be changed because it's harming mankind. Prophecy can be ecstatic. Most of the time when we think of prophecy, we think of that which is ecstatic. By unction, by a present inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by rhema. I'm going to submit to you a few things today. One I'm going to submit to you right now is that in Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel records what he was doing, there was no rhema, no unction, no inspiration on what Daniel was doing. It's just, I'm just going to tell you a few things here today that I really believe are true, critical, something you've got to catch as a charismatic, Pentecostal, prophetic people. You've got to catch this. He observed in the books. He observed in the books. He observed in the books. Have you ever observed something in the book? We'll get back to that. I believe it. We'll get back to that. If prophecy is ecstatic or by unction or by present revelation or inspiration, and and it is, and most of us think of it that way, then in this manner, it's often foretelling or announcing the future in a mystical way by the Holy Spirit. Yes? And we would think of it today as uh, doing something that's also maybe combined with the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, other other combined gifts of the Spirit out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But prophecy and to prophesy can also mean forth-telling. It can mean to proclaim. It can mean to exclaim. It can mean to decree. It can mean to announce. It can mean to speak forth from a higher perspective. That is from the Word of God, from God's perspective. To see life with the wisdom from above and to speak from that realm, to see life from the view of God, from the king of the earth, to speak from heaven where you're now seated, right? I think Elijah did this. We'll come back to some of those thoughts. I think Elijah did some of this. Uh, I'm going to submit that to you. I think Elijah did some of this when he shut the rain up and when he released the rain to come. Now, I'm saying all of this because most of you are, you think you need an unction from the Holy Spirit before you ever open your mouth. We get in a big prayer circle and like everybody's quiet. You're all waiting on something to happen. You have, you have what happened within you, but you're waiting on something new to happen. But you have what happened within you. Do you know what the word bar mitzvah means? You know, uh, the reason we dedicate babies to the Lord, uh, and by the way, when, he's, when we're doing that, he's dedicating them to us. I think the Lord's laughing from heaven. But we dedicate babies to the Lord. You know, this is our way of involving him in the, and it's a formal way of involving him in the, in the raising of our children. 
But in Jewish culture, they didn't have a baby dedication until the child was 13. In Jewish culture, God dedicated the baby to you. You wanted that thing, now you raise it. I don't know what was wrong with you. Something happened. You wanted it. You got it. Now you raise it. So you get about 12 or 13 years, and what happens during that period is you're supposed to pour in the Word. You're supposed to, day and night, night and day, you're supposed to talk the Word, love the Word, preach the Word, teach the Word. You're supposed to open up the Pentateuch. You're supposed to go through the laws. You're, supposed to, you're just supposed to saturate them in the Word. Then, around 12 or 13 years old, you have a bar mitzvah ceremony where you dedicate them to the Lord. The word bar mitzvah means son of the law or son of the word, son of God. And when, you, when they get about 13 years old, most of us know, that's when I stop spanking every one of my children. Bummer of a deal. <clears throat> you don't know how I wish it would have extended past 13. Something within me said, bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah. Boy, did I ever want to turn him over my knee a few times. But you have this big ceremony, and at that ceremony, you're actually just saying, you're saying, okay, the Word is in you. I've done my part to store the Word, to put the Word within you, to teach you the Word, the instructions of God. Now I give you over to the Word that is within you. Now listen, church, you're full of the Word. You got the Word in you. You have the testimony of the living Word within you. And yet, you can't open your mouth. You're waiting, you're waiting on an unction. You're waiting for a goosebump. You're waiting for, you're waiting for something. Uh, okay, I'm going to stand off of my holy post for a moment. You know, we're all standing around. If you are that unsure of yourself in the congregation, what in the world are you like in the, in the marketplace? No wonder you're silent. What are you like when there's a crisis? What are you like? Okay, no condo and no bondo. Uh, Are you hearing me? So uh, if you know the word and you have the living word within you, you should open that stinking mouth of yours. Did you know your mouth is the most rebellious part of your body? And maybe that's a problem. Maybe your mouth doesn't want to open. Obey. Obey. Elijah shut up the skies due to Ahab and Jezebel leading Israel into sin. Let's read 1 Chronicles 7.11. 1 Chronicles 7.11. That shouldn't be hard to remember. 7.11. Where do you go for a bad donut? 7.11. Where do you go when there's sin? 7.11. Bad donut, sin. First Chronicles 7.11. Thus Solomon finished. Where do you go for bad coffee? 7.11. Where do you go for bitter problems? 7.11. First Chronicles 7.11. Thus, let's get back to the sermon. Stop it. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Wrong? Second Chronicles seven eleven. Hey, 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 stick with the seven eleven though. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. Redemption to the preacher. All right. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the king's palace, successfully completed all that he had planned to do with the house of the Lord and his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself to be a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, and my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land, now my eyes be open to the plan. Yes, see it? What was Elijah doing? First Kings chapter 18. Elijah, Elijah knew of this declaration. The people of Israel have turned against God. 
they've turned against the very thing that God, that they pledged to do in the tabernacle. Elijah shuts up the skies and the rain shuts off. Then there comes a day, three and a half years later, where 6,000 are praying as is Elijah. They're praying. Jezebel has killed all the prophets, and she's got 450 prophets of Baal. And so Elijah comes and brings forth, remember, a showdown, right? And he calls all of them and see if you can make fire on your altar. They can't make the fire. So he calls on God, their fire, the, it's all devoured. God shows up, right? Okay. And then the people, the people move into repentance. When the people moved into repentance and there was a shift spiritually, then 1 Chronicles 7, 11 through 14, Elijah heads off to a mountain to open the skies again. We're told in James chapter 5, 14 through 16, that he did all of this through what is called the prayer of faith. It's the same prayer that will heal the sick and raise people up. It's the same prayer that will accomplish much. And it's called the prayer of faith. It's not praying with faith. It's a prayer of command, decree, prophetic proclamation based on the Word of God. Based on the Word of God. And this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do right now. You're waiting on the Holy Spirit. He's waiting on you. You've been prophesying the wrong things as well. The church has been prophesying gloom and doom and sin and antichrist increase and every kind of problem errantly, wrongfully, and we're getting what we've been prophesying. The Muslims are coming, and they're spreading worldwide, and many Christians see it as end-time fulfillment and antichrist spirit growing in the earth. Is that really what you want living next door to you? Is that what you want to experience at your shopping mall? Then you better shift what you're doing right here. The church needs to shift and begin to say what God is saying and not some weird theology. The church needs to shift and begin to prophesy and increase. What did Isaiah see and what did he say? Of the increase of his government of peace, not, not terrorism. Of the increase of his government of peace, there shall be no end. Amen. I'm going to do a Mario Murillo. That is really good preaching. It just came upon me. I thought we should do a Mario Marillo right there. The story of Jeremiah. Let's look at the story of Jeremiah. Remember, why in the world is the Old Covenant days filled with prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet? It's to show us what the prophetic ministry looks like because now we've inherited the prophetic ministry. We have inherited the prophetic ministry. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, it was that all should prophesy. You have inherited the prophetic ministry. So Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah. It's a passage we're fairly familiar with. Jeremiah, uh, the story of Jeremiah illustrates again the prophetic realm. Uh, he calls Jeremiah, and then chapter 1 of verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's interesting. That means what you're going to say is going to go beyond the impact of Israel, the people you're called to. You're going to release things that shake the nations and create a reality that is not now present seen. 
Verse 9, and then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms, over the nations and over the kingdoms. This is what he does with the prophetic ministry. The prophetic ministry is an appointment over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow. What? What are you going to pluck up, break down, and overthrow? Evil, darkness, unrighteousness, wickedness all that contradicts God's good will for mankind. Now, most of us are waiting for a literal expression of this, by the way, and this came to my mind. I thought about this is that, again, I want to just keep provoking you. Stop waiting for God to literally put his words in your mouth. He's not going to do that. I never prophesy. Why? Well, I've never felt like a hand drop words in my mouth. This is not to be taken literally. When God puts something in your heart, when you read it in the book, when you read it in the book, Daniel read it in the book. I was reading through the books. I noted in the books that the time was over. So I got up and arrested myself. The the 70 years is over. Has anybody seen the 70 years is over? Therefore, I aroused myself to begin to seek God. I aroused myself to begin to pursue God, remind God, get after God, go after God, begin to agree with God. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Desolation is over. So don't wait for God to literally put something in your mouth. If he's put it in your heart, that's the same as putting it in your mouth. He intends that if something's in your heart, it's to be in your mouth. If it's in your heart and not in your mouth, then you're missing 50% of Christianity. Was Jesus just like this prayer warrior that was walking around? Just this prayer warrior? Are you kidding me? He got up. He prayed. He prayed while it was still dark, like all of you should do. Before the day came, he got up and he prayed. He sought God. He heard from God. He walked in the rhema from God. He received rhema from God. He had intimacy with God. He was functioning in his humanity, not in his divinity. He's getting downloads in the spirit. Then, if you watch what he did all day, he walked around prophesying all day. Prophesying all day. When he, when he addressed them in Matthew 5, he prophesied. You brood of vipers. Oh, that probably felt good. He prophesied in Matthew 23, these woes will come upon you. You don't know, I've, I've longed to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. It wasn't him that was speaking. He was speaking prophetically. He was speaking as the very oracle, the very mouthpiece of God. God has longed to gather Israel like a hen would gather her chicks, but they wouldn't. So these woes will come upon you. They will all come upon this generation. He was prophesying in Matthew 24. He was prophesying. He was prophesying in Mark 11. It's our big faith passage, right? Mark 11. He was prophesying in Mark 11. It says that they got up on a journey and he came to a fig tree that was barren. There was nothing on it. And so he said, no one shall ever eat of you ever again. He was prophesying. The fig tree was Israel. It represented Israel. He was releasing a prophetic word over Israel in the metaphor of the fig tree, and it dried up from the roots. He was prophesying. He went about prophesying. If you're not prophesying, you're only living half of a Christian life. fact is, you are not actually receiving, inheriting, walking in all that you're meant to walk in. You can pray till the cows come home. But I'm telling you what, until you start prophesying, your life is going to be barren of that which God has shown you in the prayer closet. It's the prophetic expression. You get pregnant in prayer, you give birth in the prophetic and you are called to prophesy. That's really good preaching. Oh, hallelujah. Whoo! Prayer is hearing, receiving, it's intimacy with the Spirit. But we have become a prayer-centric people. 
The church from AD 300 to the day has become a prayer-centric people, not a prophetic people, a prayer-centric people. The fact is most of the church has, re, has, re, has actually renounced, turned away from, refused, shamed, and undignified prophetic ministry. And the prophetic ministry that does exist in the church today, most of it, we think of it as personal prophecy one to another. And we think of it as these butterflies or snowflakes that run around in the congregation and they, oh, I have a word for you, whatever, right? And, that, and, and we think of it in that kind of that, that framework or that terminology. Not, not realizing that it's, that it's that personal prophetic expression that awakening a personal prophetic expression that is actually awakening us to legislate, to confront, to do what we're doing and hearing, and as we're hearing, and as we're not refusing, that we're not shaming, we're not resisting, we're not retreating from that realm, that ministry, we're actually saying, no, I want more of that. And we're actually seeing that that which I'm learning to do on the micro level is meant to be expressed on the macro level. That you that become prophets over your own lives and prophets to your neighbors, and you begin to walk in and hear and have prophetic expression one to another, you have to realize now that God is giving you the tools to move that to the macro level over government, over education, over media, over everything that pertains to the mountains of culture. God's same calling, God's same mandate, God's same grace is on you for that as well. So we've become prayer-centric, not prophetic. Now here in the church, here in our church, we're embracing the prophetic. We're saying we want more of the prophetic, and we're saying we want to learn to prophesy, and we want to grow in the prophetic, and we want to be open to the prophetic, and we we want these expressions where the Holy Spirit is visiting us with the testimony of Jesus as he is our representative, as the Son of Man, the Supreme One, our love who is getting these downloads from Father concerning us and concerning one another. So we're, we're getting this down. We're getting this down one to another. But Father is saying, take this bigger, take this deeper, take this higher, take this to the macro level of the spheres of the mountains of culture. So we've become a prayer-centric people. Prayer is hearing, receiving, intimacy. It comes out of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. But the prophetic realm is enforcing, planting, setting forth what you've received. A prayer-centric model is safer for us, the church, because we can push all responsibility for progress, progress for change, progress for breakthrough on the God. To become prophetic is more dangerous. We can, if we're just prayer-centric, we can say, well, I don't know, I must have missed that. Well, that must not have been God's will. Well, I'm still waiting on that. Well, I prayed about that and nothing changed, so I don't know. I'm not sure, right? But a prophetic expression puts us not only at a place of higher risk, but a place of much greater power. It's what God has for us. Everybody say Courage. A prophetic expression is the natural overflow of a prayer life. Now, that could be the problem. If you don't have one, then you don't have a prophetic expression because you don't have a prayer life because it's a natural expression of a prayer life. It's where your faith, actually your faith that's developed in the prayer room actually meets expression. Now, because we are prayer-centric, we assume most of the biblical text, even as we consider prophets, a lot of times we're just kind of blind, we assume most biblical texts pertain to prayer. But maybe they don't pertain to prayer. I'm as guilty as this as you. I have been prayer-centric. All of my Christian life, I've been prayer-centric. The Holy Spirit's doing big surgery on me. I get to do it on you. I get to act like a big shot, act like I know everything, act like I'm really cool. I am just a dummy who's learning stuff. So then the Holy Spirit's talking to me about Isaiah 62, and he's like, I've made that prayer-centric, Isaiah 62. So many things, because we're prayer-centric, 
our tradition, our church cultural tradition has made us prayer-centric, not prophetic-centric, or not balanced. So Isaiah 62, I assumed, I've assumed always that the writer is talking about prayer. But could the writer be talking about prophetic proclamation? For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her brightness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness. All kings will see your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. Does that sound like a mealy mouth prayer? Does that sound like a petition? Does that sound like a, a lay me down to sleep prayer? Does that sound like a, a whiny prayer? Does that sound like a does that sound like a desperate prayer? Does that sound like a it sounds a little bit more like a prophetic declaration. It sounds a little bit more like Isaiah, who was a Oh my word, I forgot about that. Isaiah was a prophet. This sounds a little bit more like the speech of a prophet. Verse 6, on your walls of Jerusalem I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Remind the Lord. Maybe that doesn't imply prayer alone, but maybe it implies prophetic declaration, agreements with God, things that align with his will. He backs up his will when we speak it and when we release it. Every time Father hears your prophetic declaration, he is provoked, he's reminded, he's aroused to help us and fulfill his word. Every time Abraham said Abraham, it reminded him, it reminded God, it reminded the spirit realm. I'm a father of many nations. I'm not just a father, I'm a father of many nations. God changed his name so that every time he said his name, there would be a prophetic declaration. You who remind the Lord, give him no rest. I need the band to come help me close. First closing. Hurry! Are you getting this? A lot of you will say, well, I didn't feel the unction, didn't feel the goosebump, didn't feel that. You know, I just, well, I, I, yeah, I got to be careful. What do you mean you got to be careful? You got the word within you. Paul says you have the mind of Christ. Stop being so careful. The devil loves it. Or a lot of you say, well, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. Well, there's the office of a prophet. The Lord, the Lord distributed that gift. There is the office of the prophet, and Paul talks about it, but all should prophesy. And you'll notice, you'll notice in Acts chapter 2 when Peter stood up and he said, this is the fulfillment of Joel. What we're now experiencing is the fulfillment of Joel. When Peter stood up and said that, he didn't say, all shall be prophets. He said, all shall prophesy. Stop saying, I'm not a prophet. Stop that. It could be that prophets come out of those who prophesy. So he said, this is the fulfillment of what Joel said in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men see dreams. Even bond servants, men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Come on, stand with me. That passage out of Jeremiah 51.20, love it, spoken by a prophet. Jeremiah 51.20, you are my war club. 
This is Jeremiah. He spoke that over Israel. He said, you don't understand. You're a holy people. You're a royal priesthood. You're called out of God. You're a special people. You are my war club to the nations. Here they are, this little bitty nation in the midst of a whole earth of nations, Gentile nations everywhere. But God was saying, it's with you, you shatter darkness. You're the ones. I've chosen you to shatter darkness. I've chosen you. I've chosen you to confront the enemy. It's a spiritual kingdom. Shifts come. Shifts come in the natural realm as we invoke that which we're called to in the spirit realm. In prophetic expression. Amen? Did you know you can do this in your car? You know the battle is not with a placard. The battle the battle is not with a placard. It's, the battle is not with a march. The battle is not with a protest. The battle doesn't start there. The battle doesn't start in the natural realm. The battle starts, the battle is won in the spirit realm. The shifts will take place in the spirit realm. What we do in the natural realm is mopping up what we did first in the spiritual realm. And it doesn't begin, it doesn't begin or end, I should say, it doesn't end with prayer. It starts with prayer, but it ends with prophecy. And then, and then we begin to see there's changes everywhere. Changes everywhere. Wow. Wow. The enemy's losing everywhere. The enemy's losing everywhere. Things are shifted. Things are pushed back. Come on, just hands up right now and just begin to pray. Just begin to accept this mandate. Would you do it? Begin to accept this mandate in a rich, richer way. Come on, I want voices all across the auditorium. Just accepting this mandate, accepting this mandate, accepting this anointing, accepting this calling, accepting that the word of the Lord is in you. Come on, this was on the pre-service prayer. This was in Chris's mouth when he came up here. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. God just keeps saying today that he is all over you. He's in you. He's with you. He's upon you. You don't need another goosebump. Do not wait for a goosebump. Do not wait for something, some inspirational unction. The moment you open your mouth, He's there and He's with you. The moment you open your mouth, we just say shifts will come to media. Shifts will come to government. Shifts will come to education. Shifts will come to commerce and finance. Shifts will come. Shifts will come to the family. They'll come to religion. They'll come to religion. They'll come to every mountain of culture will experience the shifting, changing influence of the Son of Man. The King of the earth, Yeshua HaMashiach, the glorious one who is chief over all. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's sing it.